Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? Hello, Rebecca. We have some heavy hearts coming to this podcast because we're doing it in memory of somebody pretty close to the Historical Society. We are. These are bittersweet in my mind because it's a blessing to know the human and it's a blessing to be able to caretake for their life after they've passed. But on the flip side, gosh darn it, I hate saying goodbye to people. Unfortunately, friend of many, friend of the Anoka County Historical Society, Lyle Bradley passed away on June 7th and uh, he was a board member here for a while, and we also have a few oral histories from him in the collection. It makes me happy to look back at our collection and find treasures from people that have passed away because it makes me feel like we're doing our job. The memories that people are talking about now, like I remember one time he came into the museum and he told me about the time that he had a timber rattlesnake, like a poisonous snake, in his high school science classroom for a couple of years. Is that legal? You definitely would not be able to get away with it today. (laughs) (laughs) Lyle was a science teacher at Anoka High School, but in the oral histories that we have, he talked a lot about his time in the um, military in World War II and Korea flying airplanes. And he almost ended up going to Vietnam it, to think of one life potentially fighting in three wars, that is a, a commitment we should never ask of one person, in my opinion. And he just was committed to teaching people, whether it was science or archaeology or about planes, he touched so many lives. So I'm really honored to bring this episode of the podcast out into the world with Lyle Bradley telling his stories. This is uh, Dave Niles. The date is May 22nd, 2003. And I'm here at the Anoka County History Center with Mr. Lyle Bradley. Lyle, where were you born and raised? I was born in Dubuque, Iowa. And uh, I was there until I got my about the half, first half year of college at the University of Dubuque. And then uh, World War II, of course, was underway, and I decided to join the Marine Corps. And this would have been 1942, the fall of 42. And the two of us were boxing, and we just took a little break, and we decided both were going to join the Marine Corps. We were both interested in aviation, but at that time you had to be a college graduate before you got an aviation. Anyway, so we went down, we signed up in Marine Corps the next day, and uh, they said stay in school. So we both stayed in school, and the next week they changed the rule. You only had to be in college to get into aviation. So I went up and talked to one of the guys that was involved with that, and he said, uh, he said you, if you can pass our tests, then we'll take care of the Marine Corps. So that's what got me into aviation. And I came to Minneapolis the day I was 18 and uh, went through the testing program down here. 
passed it. Bob Pete, the other guy, he came up with me, and he didn't pass because he had a very slight list. What, what kind of testing was conducted? Well, first of all, we went through the physical. You had to get through the physical exam first. There's no problem there. I remember the doctor checking my pulse. He says, good God. He said, I don't know if you're alive or dead. He said, you got a 42 pulse. So he called one of his buddies over, you know, and, and he said, what have you been doing? Well, I was on the college cross-country team at that time. So I was in very good shape. And uh, and then uh, and then after we went through the physical, then they gave us the mental tests. And uh, I thought they were relatively easy. So we passed them. And then the rough part was the interview. After you went through all those tests, they put you in a room. And I remember there were three, I think there were three lieutenant commanders, if I remember right. Uh, one of them medical and uh, two of them regular. And they started asking you very embarrassing questions. Uh, they asked uh, things that, uh, uh, you know, if you, about your drinking habits, uh, about your sexual habits, all kinds of uh, really very personal <laughs> questions. And what they tried to do, I made the mistake, I came in chewing gum. And my God, you'd think I'd committed a felony just for <laughs> chewing gum. And uh, so anyway, they, but that was the idea. And I saw guys come out of that room crying. They were, that was their purpose, to break you down. And rally. And rally. And uh, so anyway, uh, got through that okay, and I guess I passed. But, uh, so then uh, after you passed the testing, what happened? I had to report to Aberdeen, South Dakota. And at Aberdeen, we were in the uh, CPT program, Civilian Pilot Training Program. And we stayed, we didn't have uniform, we just wore our regular civvies. And then we started flying with uh, civilian instructors, light planes. And I remember the plane that I checked out on was the Aranka four and a half plane. And the instructor I had was an alcoholic. Terrible instructor, he almost killed us twice. Uh, but anyway, got through that okay. And, uh, and then uh, from there went to Iowa City for pre-flight. And that's where we got involved with the military. They treated us wonderful. Boy, the food there was just second to none. And, uh, but it was a long day. We started at 5.30 in the morning. We were out doing push-ups at six o'clock in the morning. And uh, long before breakfast, we had a good day's work in. <clears throat> and then went all day long. <clears throat> we had uh, activities all morning. And then in the afternoon for the first three hours, we had code, we had uh, several different classes. And then in the afternoon from uh, four to six, we had uh, we had sports. Is that where they, they taught you Marines? I mean, was it, did you learn there the Marine discipline? No, it had nothing to do with the Marines. This was okay. all Navy and okay. Marines and Navy were all together and okay. we all went through the same program okay. until we graduated. Okay. All right. And then you had a choice. Do you want to go Marines okay. and of course, I had my eye on that Corsair, and, I, and the Marines were getting the Corsairs, and so that's what I learned. So then you, you graduated from pre-flight, yeah. and then what? Okay, then came up to Minneapolis here, and we called it E-Base. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember what E meant. That was called E-Base. But anyway, it was, it was really the primary flight training, uh, and we had the old biplane, the N2S, the Stearman. Oh, what a wonderful airplane. I still enjoy flying that occasionally. But uh, open cockpit. And we were here in, uh, in 
September, October, and November. And it was cold in November. We had to fly with sheepskins on and face masks and so on. But uh, that was just a delightful three months because uh, we, we flew an airplane that I really loved. And then from Minneapolis here, and by the way, we had a, they had a wonderful swimming pool down here in Minneapolis, and we did a lot of swimming. Uh, we had swimming classes there and so on. And we, we had coursework, a lot of coursework, a lot of coursework on code, um, and, uh, and a lot of things on recognition. Boy, I tell you one thing on recognition. Um, I'm a nut on birds. I do a lot of bird spotting, you know, and I run classes on birds and so on. This happened at, at, uh, at the pre-flight in Iowa, I was sitting there. They called me in one time and they said, do you realize you've been, te you, we, 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 you've been, uh, no, he said, do you realize it's a court-martial offense to cheat on tests? And I didn't know what they were talking about. I said, I've been cheating on any tests. Well, I said, look at here. You go through these recognition courses and you get them all right all the time. Now, no one does that. And uh, and geez, I didn't know what the dickens they were talking about. And see, they'd flash these pictures of airplanes up on the wall at 100 foot a second. And we had to know every airplane from every country in the world that was involved in, with war. And it, it, I've always been interested in it. It was just stuck to anyway. So they said, uh, uh, anyway, and so they said, we got 50 new, 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 new slides here, and you better get them all right. And they were, Three, three. I don't know what they were. Lieutenant commanders, I remember. Anyway, something like that. Uh, and uh, they flashed these on the board, and I got them all right. So they had my records there, and they were going through them. And they said, "Well, look at this guy here. Here's his former biology teacher. Say he's so good on birds, you know." And then, and then a, a former scoutmaster said, "Geez, here he was, our our, our bird merit badge counselor at age 12, you know, so on." But I've been interested in birds, you know, since I was a little kid. Well, anyway, they finally figured that was the reason. <laughs> but I always uh, was very good on, on, on recognition. So we had a lot of recognition. Every place we went, we had recognition of airplanes. We had to stay up. We went to uh, an all-marine uh, unit at um, Green Cove Springs, Florida. And that's where we got involved with military uh, frontline fighters. And we were flying the F-4F. That was a frontline fighter at the beginning of World War II. Terrible airplane. It was noisy. It was hot. It was dangerous. We take off and we had to roll up the landing gear by hand. So it was my first hop. I was doing that and trying to fly the wing because you had to take your hand off the throttle and fly it with a stick. And and uh, uh, my sleeve got caught in the gun charger handle and I took the wheel off. And you're doing this on the first hop, you know. You you're not quite relaxed. And so, geez, I was all concerned here. I flew right through the tops of some trees on the takeoff. <laughs> My instructor told me later on, or what, they said he just put his hands over his face and it to Bradley. But anyway, uh, made it through. Then I had a battery explode. All kinds of things happened. I still got a few scars on my face where the canopy collapsed. Oh, yeah. I, that airplane, I have no love for it whatsoever. But anyway, it got through that. But, but that plane was actually being used in combat. Oh yes, it known at that particular point it was just being phased out. Okay. And the Corsair was coming in. Was the Corsair only used in the Pacific Theater? No. Matter of fact, it's interesting. The British were the first ones that used the Corsair on carriers. Uh, see, the Navy turned them down. So the Marines got all the Corsairs. And of course, I was reading about this, so that's why one of the reasons I went to the Marine Corps. 
because I like this herb one so much. Okay, so you got assigned to the Bennington. Yeah. Okay. This is uh, about when? This is about December. Let's see, December. Early January, I guess it was, of 45. And uh, I joined Squadron 123. There were two Marine carrier, two Marine squadrons on board that carrier. And there were two Marine squadrons on, uh, let's see, there were a total of, was it eight squadrons? So we were, they had, they had one carrier in each task unit that had the Corsairs. And uh, it was interesting, we went out as a, as a replacement team. And one of the reasons why was the Bennington had lost six pilots in a matter of two hops about a week before that. And they had hit an island called Kai Kai Island in the Ryukus, that's just close to Okinawa. And on one dive, three pilots, they picked off three airplanes. They had a really heavy anti-aircraft. And that was one of the primary fields that the Japanese were using for their kamikazes. So what I did, and we all fit, fit in the three pilots that had been killed. Guess where we went on our first mission? <laughs> Right back to Kai Kai Island. So we were a little nervous about that because they had a very effective anti aircraft. So we circled up there for a couple hours just waiting and uh, keeping an eye on the field and so on before we went down. We didn't lose anybody that day. But uh, anyway, uh, it was. Uh, so that was my introduction to combat. Maybe this is jumping ahead a little bit, but uh, on a mission that we had to Kumamoto, Japan. Have you been to Japan? No. Okay. Kumamoto, Japan was a huge aircraft factory at Kumamoto. So they briefed us on one of the missions that we were to hit this place at 7 o'clock in the morning, right at the change of shifts for maximum lethality to workers and so on. We were the, see, uh, fighter escort comes low, medium, and high. And we were the middle. Uh, and we were, we were the ones that were escorting all the SB2Cs and the TBMs and so on that had heavier bombs. And we, were, we were all, I mean, I had rockets on my plane. I see the rocket rail, really, really. they're not on this. But uh, anyway, um, so we went in, and we were the first ones in. And we had to hit that exactly at 7 o'clock. And as I, uh, as I came around like this, I was on, on the right side. I looked down. Here's a locomotive coming around the mountain, the hill. And I thought, geez, what a perfect thing for rockets. So I went down like this, and I opened up, and I, I hit the locomotive with one of the rockets and exploded and almost. I went right through the stuff, and it was exploding. Well, anyway, uh, so then we, we, we rendezvoused after that. And I saw this lone jet plane down there. So I tally hold the plane and nobody else could see it. So anyway, they gave me the lead. And, see, I was a second lieutenant at that time. And we had a major that was leading the division. His eyesight wasn't too good. <laughs> and so he turned over the lead to me. So I left on. I shot this plane. And as soon as I opened it up, I just, uh, just exploded the plane. Well, anyway, now later on, I was recalled to, to Korea five years later. And I was sitting in a, in a, in a, in a, uh, railroad station in Nara, Japan. That was the city that was supposed to be the capital ahead of Tokyo. And uh, uh, 
there was a Japanese man sitting across the counter from me, and he was glaring at me. And I thought, well, he could be about the right age, you know, Japanese veteran man, and so on. And he got up out of his seat, and he came around, and I didn't want to get caught off balance, so I turned like this. He came up, and in perfect English, he said, what kind of airplane do you fly? Because I had my wings on. And uh, anyway, this started a very good friendship. He invited me over to his house that night, and so we went over. We killed a bottle of sake, you know, and, and uh, his wife had fixed some wonderful uh, rice cakes and so on. Mm -hmm. He was a medical doctor at that time. So he took me into the schools there in Nara uh, on several trips and uh, into his home and his hospital and so on. Well, anyway, the reason why that jumped from that plane that I shot down, uh, I asked him what kind of plane he flew. He was a Japanese pilot. And so he, we got the recognition books out, and he said, that was the plane. And that was the same type of plane that I'd shot down, a twin-engine Nick, we called it. And uh, so I told him a friend of mine had shot one of those down. Oh, he said, where was it? So I pointed on the map. He said, that had to be from our squadron, because we were the only ones in southern Japan that had that plane. He said, when was it? Well, I said, I can't remember exactly, but I gave him the approximate date. And he had a list of all the pilots that had been in his squadron. And uh, so then I went back and I checked my logbook. And the next time we were together, I told him the date that he shot down. And uh, <clears throat> he wanted to know the name of the pilot. I said, I don't remember the name of the pilot. Well, anyway, the last time we were together, I told him I had a, I had a confession made there. I said, I was the guy that shot down your friend. He got another bottle of sake out. <laughs> and we had a toast to his, to his, uh, his departed uh, friend that I shot down. So it's a strong, it's a, it's a strange world sometimes. But uh, that was that was an interesting time down. What's your typical week like at the Bennington? How many are you flying every day? Oh. We never flew, I don't think we ever flew more than three days a week. Maybe four, a couple times. But we were gobbling up all of this ammunition and all of the fuel so fast that the ship could only stay up there. So you go up there three or four days, and then you have to come back and reload and go back up. And uh, so 50% of the time, we had, I read every book, I think, that we had on the Bennington. We had a bridge game going 24 hours a day. We had a poker game going 24 hours a day. Um, some guys played AC Ducey, uh, which I didn't like. Uh, but uh, anyway, we, and, uh, we did a little singing. Um, we had a, a tape recorder, and a tape recorder, a record player there. I remember we played uh, Surrey with a fringe on top, yeah, you know, and yeah. songs like that. Uh, and I remember we listened to Tokyo Rose a couple times. Yeah. Managed to pick her up. I thought I thought she did a great job for. For morale, it's sort of interesting <laughs> listening to her. Good to see her, hear a woman's voice, you know. Uh, but uh, it was a. Uh, I I really enjoyed um, flying on a carrier. I did not enjoy living on a carrier. It's too too stacked up on top of. There were twenty seven of us in a little room that was the size of a average size of latrine. And we were six deep, as you know about this yeah. game on ship. There were about 12 inches between cots, and you had to squeeze in there, and you never want to raise your head too fast. <laughs> sure. But anyway, um, 
And then, of course, uh, this guy that's put on the pedestal so much, Halsey, decided to send us through a typhoon one time. Mm -hmm. And in one fell swoop, he did more damage to the fleet than the Japanese had done the whole year. Admiral McCain, that's John McCain's yes. grandfather, yes. begged him to hold mm -hmm. off on these missions. And uh, he didn't do it. I met Admiral McCain, by the way, in an accident. When I got on the Bennington, I figured I never want to get caught when that ship was either uh, had been hit or the lights were out and so on. So I, I got my, myself squared away so I could find my way to the ready room on the top side uh, by three different ways. I had come home uh, from our living quarters. Yeah, of course, hardly there. So anyway, I, I, I closed my eyes and I go down the hall and feel the way. I ducked down in one of the, one of the guys, the, uh, water tight hatches, and I clawed my head right into Harvey Jensen. Harvey Jensen, I opened my eyes for Iowa. That's supposed to be a three star. And he got married. Admiral, he said, Well, Lieutenant, you sure have a hard head. He says, I'm driving back to El Centro. Do you want to drive with us? So anyway, so I was from Dubuque, Iowa. So anyway, I jumped on the train and went through Perry, Iowa to get to Soldier. And in Perry, Iowa, going through there about six o'clock in the evening, telling me that the horns were tooting, you know, and so on. Couldn't figure out what, the, uh, what was happening. And uh, anyway, that was the end of the war. Mm -hmm. And then, so I met Harvey out there at Soldier and we jumped, the three of us jumped in the car, he, he and his new wife and myself, we drove in this coupe. It was a coupe. <laughs> And we drove all the way to California nonstop. Yeah. And we drive down the road. We wouldn't even stop to change drivers. <laughs> we just keep the car going. And one person would lean over and hang onto the wheel and would slip. <laughs> oh, geez. We shouldn't have been doing that. I'm sure if we were caught, we would have been. But anyway, um, uh, you get overconfident sometimes, you know, when you're dealing with driving and flying and so on. And if you examine the, the accident rate, and these things, uh, the accident rate is highest between 200 and 600 hours. When you have 200 hours in an airplane, you're the hottest thing that ever sat in a cockpit. You can do anything. And the accident rate just soars like this. After you get 600 hours in, you realize there's a few things you don't know. And the accident rate plateaus. <laughs> and when you get a couple thousand hours, it goes way down. It's sort of interesting the way that works. Human beings, it's like in automobiles, you know, the big rate comes in the young drivers. But uh, you're invincible. You're no, invincible. That's right. You're not invincible. We've all gone through it. Read all about it in the Noka County Library Minute. Hello, and welcome back to the Library Minute. My name is Haley Coble, and I am here with some book recommendations inspired by Lyle Bradley's interests, specifically airplanes, birds, and biology. The first book I have for today is Jet Set, The People, the Planes, the Glamour, and the Romance in Aviation's Glory Years by William Stadium. William Stadium's book looks at the late 1950s Pan American World Airways and beginnings of passenger flight. Learn about the quote-unquote sky coons who started the business of international travel by plane and the jet setters who popularized it. This time in American history is fascinating a Mad Men flavored era of travel and glamour. More about fighter planes, we have World War II fighting jets by Jeffrey L. Ethel. 
Learn about some of World War II's greatest fighter jets in this book by Jeffrey L. Ethel. Ethel details the development as well as the operational careers of these aircraft and gives the history of German, British, Japanese, and American planes that flew in the war. Lyle Bradley also flew one of these sleek machines of World War II in Korea, specifically the American F4U Corsair. Next up, we have The Science of Flight, The Air Amazing Truth About Planes and Helicopters by Ian Graham. This book in the popular Science of Engineering series introduces kids of all ages to planes and helicopters and how they get off the ground. Not only will kids learn about the engineering aspects of flight and how our understanding of flight science has changed throughout the years, but they will find these lessons accompanied by fun illustrations, easy to understand side panels for difficult concepts and examples from real life. The next book I have is about another one of um, Lyle Bradley's interests, birds. This one is called The Bedside Book of Birds, an avian miscellany by Graham Gibson. When I saw birds on this week's list of topics, I knew I had to include this book that a patron recently showed me. The Bedside Book of Birds isn't heavy reading, rather it's bits and pieces from literature, science writing, nature writing, and poetry that examines the human fascination with birds throughout time. Likewise, it contains gorgeous pictures and art, truly a wonderful meditation for someone who loves the avian world. We also have The Backyard Bird Watcher's Bible by Christopher M. Perrins. Or maybe you would like to learn about the birds that live right outside your back door. With beautiful illustrations and packed with information, this handy reference guide will teach you to recognize the birds that visit your yard every day. In addition, you can learn how to craft birdhouses and make your garden welcoming to your avian neighbors, sure to bring even more of them to your doorstep. Moving on to some biology books, we have The Secret Wisdom of Nature, Trees, Animals, and the Extraordinary Balance of All Living Things by Peter Wollaben. Are plants capable of influencing the actions of animals and vice versa? Can life forms communicate across species tags? The Secret Wisdom of Nature asks these questions and more. Peter Wollaben has spent decades studying nature and is a renowned forester and combines his personal experience with the latest scientific breakthroughs to talk about the connections between plants and animals and the way they keep one another in check. Thanks again for stopping by for the Library Minute. Please come ask a librarian if you have questions or find other books on these subjects on the shelves near the call numbers. Thanks and stay cool out there. Get those library cards and reserve your copy today. Direct links to these books and more can be found in the episode show notes at anocacountyhistory.org. I'm still laughing about the idea of falling over and coming face to face with not only an admiral, but Admiral McCain. Like into and, even like <laughs> bumper right. cars. Right. I, I just, I don't know what I would do in that situation. My favorite is the fact that he got in trouble for being a good bird watcher. <laughs> right? You know, when I first listened to it, I thought birds were another name for airplanes and that he enjoyed watching airplanes as a kid. And that's why he was so good at it. But no, we're talking actual Tweety Birds. Yes, instead. we have some photos in the collection where he was um, connecting with and part of the Anoka Conservation District and teaching kids about birds. So it's really been a passion of his, of so many things he had passions for. The actual interview, the full thing, runs over an hour long, almost an hour and a half. And that's 
way too much time to listen in just a short little podcast. So we do have it available on the vault for members if people want to listen to it uh, from their home. It was fun to hear his voice in a, a younger version of his voice. When I knew him in this last five years, it's been an older version of his voice. And so even for me to get to know a different human than the one that I did know. Yeah, this was recorded in 2003. And then we also have an oral history of his from 1993 that he was talking to a student from Anoka Ramsey at at that point. Is that one going to be in the vault as well? I can, definitely. Thanks for listening along, everybody. We'd love to hear your memories and stories about Lyle and learning science. Yep, just hop onto our website and click Tell Me My Story. See you all next time. If you have a question, want to visit our show notes page for each episode, or would like to share your own story, go to anokacountyhistory.org. Help History 21, the podcast, reach more ears by subscribing and reviewing on your podcast provider. We're all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for all those who scroll by. And for our Vault members, you can find special access to podcast extras as well as the latest digital resources at History 21 The Vault, located on our website. Remember, the present is the past of the future.